God, we thank you again this morning for the gospel. I thank you uh, for the cross at the center of that good news, that you sent your own son to bring us salvation and everything that that means for us. I pray that we would remember the reality that, that everything that matters for us, our greatest wealth, our greatest treasure, is because of Christ. We thank you for the cross this morning. I pray that you would help us to live in light of that. As we open uh, your word this morning, I pray that you would shape us to be people who are centered on Christ. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, I needed to do some research for the sermon this week, and um, I, I've heard from some of you that, that you have the impression that I'm kind of a scholarly person, which I think is kind of funny because I kind of consider myself sort of a, a dropout of that world. Uh, but I felt the pressure, nonetheless, because of that, to make sure that the research I did was kind of a, a, the, the most rigorous variety that was kind of in-depth and, and published and peer-reviewed and all this. So, so I decided to go to the most reliable place, and I, and I decided to make a, a Facebook poll uh, to be able to figure out the, the most uh, accurate possible uh, information. Just five uh, quick words. Uh, what do you worry about? It's actually proved to be a pretty uh, effective means of coming to an answer to this question. I found that this is not surprising, but many of us worry. Most of us know that we shouldn't worry, and yet we can't help ourselves. We just do. We, we can't help it. There are all sorts of different things that we worry about. So here's what I found out through this uh, very scientific poll. We worry about lots of things. We worry about our kids. We worry a lot about our kids. We worry that they would get kidnapped. We worry that, that we will mess them up somehow because we're not perfect parents. We, we worry that they uh, are going to uh, you know, f- take their own life. We worry that they might get cancer. We, we worry that, that we would die and leave them parentless, leave them orphans. We, we worry that they would die before us. We worry that they would reject Jesus. And, and then we don't just worry about our kids, but we worry about ourselves as well. What if we get sick? What if we get cancer? What if we die? We worry about rent and food and money and families breaking apart. We worry about rejection and failure. We worry about ticks and water quality and paying off the mortgage. We worry about politics. We worry about our spouse dying. We worry about school shootings and sex offenders. We worry about food poisoning and violence. We worry about not being good enough. We worry about no one ever liking us for who we truly are. And we even worry about things that don't matter. We worry about the the pitching on our favorite baseball team because it just doesn't seem that reliable. We worry about maybe something we say is going to get mentioned in a sermon on a Sunday morning. We just make up lots of things um, to worry about. Beyond all the answers I got, though, one of the things that, that struck me was that a number of people, either commenting there or talking to me in person, said this was a question that was on their mind all day long. A couple people said for two days, I was thinking, well, why do I worry so much? See, there's something here. Worry is deeply embedded in the world that we live in, and for many of us, this is a constant reality that we live with. We are a worrying kind of people. And just like, just when we think that there is enough to worry about, something else comes along that we have to add to our burden of worries. So, so we find out that ticks carry not just Lyme disease, but also some other disease that's going to harm us. And we actually found one in our van this week. We're like, okay, well, what are we going to do with that? There's ticks in our van now. What are we, how can we protect the kids from this? Or or we see this video of a sea lion jumping out of the water and grabbing this girl and taking her down off a dock into the water. We think, how many times have I been on a dock? I'm never going to feel safe again. (laughs) 
We even make up new things. There's this new thing called the fear of missing out. This is actually a, a true thing, an actual thing. We worry that maybe somewhere someone is having fun and they didn't invite us and we don't get to participate in that. So we pull out our phones and maybe I can find a way of getting some more fun, the fear of missing out. We have all sorts of things that, that pile this burden of worry and anxiety on our shoulders. So what do we do about this? Worry means that we need to recalibrate our lives, especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And Jesus gives us direction in how to do that. And, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, a text where Jesus teaches us to recalibrate our lives so that worry is not the driving force. So let's turn to this teaching from Jesus. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Go ahead and turn there uh, if you haven't already. Grab a pew Bible if you don't have one with you this morning. Uh, Matthew 6, 25 is found on page 1509. So Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, page 1509. There are two issues that worry highlights for us. First, it highlights what we really believe about God, and second, it highlights what we really want in life. That's what Jesus is teaching us as we learn to recalibrate around the gospel. So let's look at the first part. Worry tells us something about what we really think about God. Now, this is found in, in a section of teaching that's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching people what it means to live in God's kingdom, where God is king and under his rule and reign. And just before the section that we're going to read here, he's telling people that they need to have their treasure in the right spot. He says, don't store up treasure on earth because uh, thieves can steal it away or, or rust can make it corrode or moths can eat it up. Anything that, that you treasure here is liable to be lost. Instead of that, trade that treasure for a better treasure, a treasure in heaven where, where no thief is ever going to steal anything, no rust is ever going to corrode, no moth is ever going to be able to eat it. It is eternal treasure. Trade earthly treasure for heavenly treasure. And the end of that, he's saying you can't serve two masters. You can't live between these two things. You can't serve money and also God. And then he turns to this issue of worry. Matthew 6, 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So that's the message, plain and simple. Jesus says, do not worry. It does not make sense for us to worry. Do not worry. And if we need further reason, he supplies it. Life is more than food and clothes. Life is so much more than the, than the things that you are worrying about today. And then he says, well, let's get practical. You can't actually add any time to your life by worrying about it. If anything, the added stress of that is going to take a few hours off your life. Another thing that you can worry about. But most of us it's not enough to just hear a command and hear the reasons behind it. For most of us, if we're stuck in, in the, the mode of worry, we need a little bit more help. And so Jesus directs us to, to take a look around and to learn something about who God is. He says, look up at the birds. Birds don't do anything to store up for the future. And Jesus is giving this, this sermon outdoors. They could probably see birds around them at the moment. Birds don't do anything to prepare for the future. Last week, I planted a garden. I get everything all set out, got the, the uh, ground all planted, got some seeds, got some starter plants, got everything set out. And now I wait with the hope that maybe I'll get some vegetables out of this. I'm really nervous about it because I've not done this before. But I'm hoping in, in that, anticipating that in the future, something good will come out of that. 
A bird would never do that. A bird would eat all those seeds immediately and move on. There's no planting fields and hoping for some kind of future crop. There's no storing stuff away somewhere in a barn or something else to be able to feed themselves later on. It's, it's they're going to eat it right away. It's a hand-to-mouth existence. You can imagine how precarious this would be. Imagine if you didn't have a pantry or if you didn't have a refrigerator. Every time you got hungry, you had to go looking for food. Do you think any of us would survive that? I think we'd be a lot skinnier. But birds do that, and somehow birds survive. How? Jesus says God feeds them. Now, of course, Jesus is not implying that God reaches down and puts food in the mouth of every bird in his creation every day. What he's talking about is that God has created the world to be a place where even birds who don't do any future preparation are able to survive and have their needs met. And this isn't mechanistically, like God was a watchmaker who said everything and then is distant from his creation. No, Jesus is describing God as, as active and, and caring about his creation. He created birds and he made the world to be a place where they can be sustained and he cares about them actively today. And this should make us start to think, well, if God cares that much about birds, well, what does that mean for us? Maybe birds don't do it for you. Look at verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? It's bad enough that birds don't do anything to store away for the future, but at least they're active in looking for their food today. But, but wildflowers, they don't do anything. They don't work hard. They don't pop out the sewing machine and, and put together some clothes. They just sit there passively, and they don't even last. Today, they're in beautiful, magnificent color and full bloom, but tomorrow, it's going to be a little bit withered, and by the end of the week, it's going to be totally gone. People in this day would have used those for fire, uh, for, for fueling their stoves, for, for baking. That's the destiny of these short-lived little uh, plants. But look at how beautiful they are. The richest king couldn't match that kind of beauty. Well, why are they so beautiful? Because God made them that way. Jesus says it's like God has clothed each one of those flowers in this magnificent beauty. And this should make us think. If God cares that much about totally passive things that have such a tiny little lifespan, what does that mean for us? Jesus wants us to look around and to understand something about the God who created us. He cares about us. He will provide for us. When we worry, we're showing what we really think about God, and it's not an accurate picture of who God is. Someone said that worry is practical atheism. When we worry, we're acting as if God is unreliable and not trustworthy, and he is distant, that he is unloving, that he's not powerful enough. We're acting like God is unable to provide for us, or maybe worse yet, like God is not caring enough to provide for us. I don't say that to shame worriers. We have enough on our minds already. We have a big enough burden. I say it to draw out the implications of what's going on inside of us when we find ourselves worrying about all sorts of different things. Our worry is showing that we think of God in a way that is not accurate. And the important thing is when we acknowledge the attitude about God that our worry implies, that he's unloving, uncaring, unreliable, we come to a very important part in our struggle with worry. 
We say, wait, that's not what I believe about God. I don't think that's true. I don't think he's unreliable. I I think he is totally trustworthy. I don't think that he is distant. I think that he is near. I, I don't think that he is powerless. I think that he is powerful. He really cares about me. And that's the turning point. It's when we realize who God really is. It changes from worry then to trust. And Jesus' examples show the truth about who God really is. If I'm struggling to believe that God really cares enough to provide for me, I just have to look at the birds and the flowers and know that he does. If he cares enough to feed birds and flowers, of course he cares enough to provide for me. And we've got an even greater example that proves God's love and power. If I struggle to believe that God really loves me, I look to the cross and know the the power of that love. If he sent his own son to die for me in my place when I was at my worst, then of course he loves me enough to care for me. If I ever doubt God's power to be able to provide for me, I look at the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus, and know for sure if he is able to raise Jesus from death to life, there's nothing that's beyond his power to do. Of course, he is powerful enough to provide for me. See, when we find ourselves worrying, we have to come back to what we know is true about God. Worry is an opportunity to recalibrate our lives, to say, I might be acting as if God is unreliable and uncaring, but I know that's not true, and I'm able to turn away from that. I know that he provides even for birds and wildflowers. I know that he sent his own son, and the cross is the great reminder that, yes, he cares for me, and I can trust him, and that keeps me from being stuck in that place of worry and fear. It frees us from the paralysis of what could go wrong to be able to enjoy the fact that we are living our lives in the hands of God. That totally changes the perspective. Knowing that God is trustworthy makes all the difference in the world. It's like when I showed my mom a picture last week, something that happened recently. Uh, You can guess my mother's reaction to the picture. Sharp intake of breath. Wow, that's really high. I'm glad I wasn't there to see this. But my son's reaction was very different. Again. Again. Again, till my arms are tired, I can't keep throwing them up anymore. Now, why is there such a difference in my mom's reaction and my son's reaction to that? Well, my mom knows I'm fallible. My mom has seen me drop hundreds of things uh, throughout my life. She's seen me through adolescence and everything else. She knows that I'm very fallible. I could actually drop my son. But my son, on the other hand, knows that I've never dropped him. I've always been there for him. I've always been reliable. Every single time I've caught him, I've never dropped him to the ground yet. So while my mom cringes at the very thought of it, My son loves it. Freedom up there, flying up in the air. When our standard mode of living is to cringe, to kind of white-knuckle it all through life, it means we need to come back to what's really true about God. We need to recalibrate our lives according to the truth that is shown in the gospel, that is shown in God's word, that God is a loving Father who will never drop us. See, where he says something about what we really think about God, and it's an opportunity for us to come back to truth and to live in light of that truth. But worry doesn't just say something about what we think about God. Worry also says something about what we really want in life. Let's go back to the text, verse 31. Jesus is continuing this teaching on worry. He says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, when we get stuck in worry mode, we're acting like people who don't know God. Jesus says you're acting like pagans. The pagans are the ones who run after this kind of stuff. And I realize that, that pagan is not a very friendly term. In this instance, it's just talking about people who don't know God. So we're acting like people who don't know God when we're stuck in worry. We are practical atheists when we worry. We're acting as if there is not a loving, caring God who is there to care for us and protect us. That we've just seen, that's not true. But not only does it show that we're acting like God doesn't care for us, it also means that the focus of our attention and our lives is the same as the focus and attention of life of those who don't know God. We're living like what really matters in life is the temporary stuff, the material stuff. Well, do I have enough to eat? And of course, we define that in terms of, of first world excess. Do I have enough clothes to wear? And again, this is defined as the right brand or whatever it is that you might define that as. Do I, do I have a place to live? And of course, we need to have at least one bathroom per person living in the home. But where's our attention here? And what's the solution to this? Jesus gives it in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, God is going to take care of the here and now stuff. Set your eyes on eternity. Set your eyes on what really matters. You've got to recalibrate your life and say, what do I really want? Is it really God's kingdom more than anything else? See, when we're worrying, we show that we need to recalibrate what we really want. If you are a person who worries a lot, probably when it comes right down to it, what you want in life is to be safe and to have enough. There are all these bad things that can happen, and, and so we, we try to do everything we can to insulate ourselves from those bad things happening. Modern-day parenting is a great example of this. Think about trampolines these days. Comedian John Christ points out how, how different trampolines look today than they did when he was growing up as a kid. We've got a trampoline in our backyard. It looks like this. This is uh, actually a little smaller than ours, but, but it's got the whole netting all the way around, right? Like reaching up into the sky, making sure there's no way that anyone could ever bounce off this trampoline. And the uprights that are holding up the netting are thickly padded just in case someone bonks into it. There's no chance of anyone getting hurt. And there's thick padding around all the springs to make sure that that's all safe as well. And, and there's a zipper on the front to, to ensure that once kids are in there, they stay in there and not only a zipper on ours but there's actually two different clips not one but two different clips to make sure that that thing is actually kept closed i think isn't a zipper enough but somehow you need extra protection we do everything we can to try to make our kids safe and everything we can to make that trampoline safe chris says he, he was going through his neighborhood and he saw some kids actually jumping with helmets on despite all of these things on the trampoline now, my next-door neighbors, when I was growing up, had a trampoline, and it didn't have the big nets. We hadn't even thought of those yet, and, and people got bounced off all the time. And They set theirs back in, in the woods behind their house, and, and if you got bounced off, you were headed for the trees and the bushes. There was always a chance that you were going to kind of impale your foot on the way down. So it was, it was a much different picture. And I'm not even making fun of these really protective parents because I realize that I'm one of them. We went for a walk around our neighborhood this past week, and my daughter wanted to bring her scooter. I made her wear a helmet on her scooter for a walk around the neighborhood. It was a good thing. She fell off three times and hurt herself. <laughs> I, every time my kids are running on the asphalt, I just cringe because they've fallen before, and they've scraped knees, and they've hurt themselves. Two of them smack their front teeth. I'm tempted to just kind of wrap my kids in bubble wrap or, or make them put on full hockey gear every time they go outside of the house. I was actually looking through some pictures and I found this picture of my kids 
eating a picnic and wearing helmets while they're eating a picnic. <laughs> Terrible. We are those parents. Like, what, what if they get hurt? We don't want anything too bad to ever happen to them. I want to protect them from anything that could ever go wrong in their lives. I came across a great quote from John Shedd. He said this, A ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. That is a fantastic quote. It's one that I need to hear day in and day out. See, for followers of Jesus, we are reminded that we are made for something more. You might not want to hear this, but it's true. Your safety, my safety, not the most important thing. We're going to get hurt. We are going to skin our knees. We're going to cut our hands. We're going to get hurt, but that's not the most important thing. We're not to be paralyzed by worry, doing everything we can protect, do to protect ourselves. We are made for something more. We are made to be part of this amazing movement of God that's sweeping all the way around the world, declaring that there is a king who calls us beyond ourselves, beyond the ephemeral little short-lived pursuits of life today. That's what Jesus is saying. Get your eyes on God's kingdom. That's what really matters. Reorient your lives according to the kingdom of God. God will take care of this, the everyday stuff. He'll take care of your provision. He'll make sure that you have clothes to wear. He's going to take care of those things. You set your sights on the kingdom of God. Live first for that. Get your ship out of the harbor and actually live your life. The recalibration needed here for us when we get stuck in worry is to want God's kingdom more than anything else. Now, here's a great thing about this recalibration. If we really want God's kingdom more than we want anything else in life, we will get what we want. This is guaranteed. I think this is absolutely revolutionary. I've told this to people before. I don't think anyone thinks this is as amazing as I think it is. But think of if, if we really want God's kingdom more than anything else in the world, we will get what our heart really wants. See, there's no guarantee of anything else that we set our hearts on. There's no guarantee that my kids are going to be safe. There's no guarantee that, that I'm not going to get sick or hurt. And that's why we worry, because we know that things go wrong. But it's not like that with God's kingdom. God's kingdom is guaranteed. If that's what I really want, I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm going to get what my heart really wants, if that's what it's set on. This is a tremendous amount of freedom that comes from this. Now, this message is the, the end of our series on treasure. And the whole idea behind treasure is to, to learn to think about money as followers of Jesus and then to use money as followers of Jesus. And you might wonder, why are we suddenly talking about worry? What, what does this have to do with, with using money as a follower of Jesus? Well, this is what it comes down to. Worry is a major obstacle in actually using the resources God has given us for His glory. See, if I am a worrier, if that's the, the mode of life that I live in, how am I going to view money? It is going to be a source of security, one way that I can protect myself from anything wrong that could go out there. Money equals security. And, and so once that money hits my hand, my fists are going to tighten and I'm not letting go. I'm going to hoard everything I can to put it away because I have to. Because if that's my security, there's never going to be enough to make me feel safe. Always a little bit more cushion would be nice. So Dave Ramsey says you should have three to six months of expenses in an emergency fund. But 
But I think three to six months is a short amount of time, so maybe I could do three to six years worth of savings in that uh, emergency fund because you never quite know. And once you get to that level, you think, well, a little bit more cushion would be nice because what if the market changes? What if that? A little bit more, a little bit more. Yes, you should have an emergency fund. Yes, you should be preparing. But what if we spent as much time and energy thinking about how we can give? What if we gave more than we put in our emergency fund? What if that was our mode of existence? Followers of Jesus are called to extreme generosity. See, we learn this from the gospel. God has been extravagant in his grace and his love for us. We were miserable little sinners, and and God sent his son to rescue us at great cost to himself. Extravagant grace poured out for us. So we learn unreasonable generosity from God himself. Then we look at the life of the early church, and we see the community that they had. They, They had such love for one another that if one person had a need, others would go and sell stuff so they could provide for that need. Incredible generosity. And then we have to remember that the money's all God's anyway. We are called to be responsible as managers of the resources God has entrusted to us. We're accountable for using those for His glory. If we're stuck in worry, there's no way that's going to happen. It can't happen because that is our security. There's no way we're going to be able to be generous people because we're always going to live in fear. But if we truly want God's kingdom more than anything else in life, it's going to transform our attitude toward money, and it's going to transform the way we live our lives. We might be safer in harbor, but that's not what we're made for. We are called to be a different kind of people, a people who know about the kingdom of God, people who have found that Jesus is the greatest treasure on earth, who pour out our lives with abandon so that more people can find that treasure. We are called to live with such generosity and such hope and such love that people will see and ask, well, who are these people? What has happened to them? Pastor Jeff Vanderstelt talks about an opportunity that his church had uh, to live like that. He was out to lunch at a restaurant that he frequented, and the server came over. It was, it was one of the girls that he knew from his, his, his interactions there at the restaurant. And, and so he started with his usual question, well, how are you doing today? And immediately she started breaking down in tears. Something was going on in her life. She was really struggling, and the fact that someone would even genuinely care enough to ask the question, a simple question of how are you, was enough to bring tears to her eyes. And she talked about everything that was going on. She, she was having a really uh, strong financial struggle at the time. She didn't know how she was going to make it. She had bought a house, but, but she couldn't afford a nicer house, and so the, horse, the house that she got had a lot of issues with it. And And she thought that she was going to be able to fix some of those issues, but the deeper she got into it, the more she realized that she didn't have the skills necessary, and she didn't have the finances to be able to uh, hire someone else to to fix those things. So all this stuff was going wrong. She had no idea how she was going to make ends meet. She was at the end of herself, just crying there as she's sitting there trying to wait on his table. And so he said, listen, we can help. And so we went back to his community group, kind of like our life groups, and they found out who had the right skills to be able to help. And they put together a team, and they started working on our house. Long process of a bunch of different projects. And of course, she's left to sit there wondering, well, why are they doing this? Who are these people? And she would soon find out. They invited her to be uh, part of their, their weekly dinner gatherings. And she found out more about who these people were. She started coming regularly to their group. She heard about Jesus. And she realized that the reason that they were living this way, such generous lives, was because of the gospel. They were pouring out their time and their money and their energy to help her, a a total stranger to them, except for this one pastor, because of what God had done for them through Christ. And one day she decided, that's what I want too. 
I want to be part of that. She came to trust Jesus with her whole life. Now, at any point along the way, any number of reasons could have stopped that. Well, I don't have time to help out. I don't have money to be able to help out with that. What if this is her fault? What if she has managed money poorly and that's how she's gotten in this position? But what if her house is in a bad neighborhood? I just don't want to risk that. We could fill a whole ledger full of reasons not to step out and help another person like this. But that's not what we are about. We are a people who want God's kingdom more than anything else in life. And we're not going to stay in the harbor where we think it's safe. We're going to go wherever God calls us to do, and we're going to do whatever God calls us to do because we know that God's going to take care of us, and His kingdom is far more important than anything else, including our own safety. The solution to worry is not to stick your head in the sand. The solution to worry is not to ignore reality and pretend that everything is going to be okay and kind of positive thinking. The solution to worry is not to do everything we can to try to insulate ourselves from anything bad ever happening. The solution is to get a better story. The solution is to recalibrate our thinking, our hearts, our minds, our lives. To recalibrate according to the story of a God who cares so much about us and loves us so much and is so trustworthy that he sent his own son to rescue us and to make us a new people with a new treasure. My prayer for myself and for us as a church that we would catch that vision of life that he gives us and we'd live it with abandon. Pray with me. God, I thank you that there is an answer beyond ourselves, beyond our uh, mind tricks that we want to play or, or these uh, ways that we try to uh, convince ourselves that somehow we're going to be okay if we just do uh, enough of the right things. I pray that you'd help us to see beyond all that and even more to see that you love us. That's where this all starts. If we get a picture of, of who you really are, a God who created us, who loves us, who will always care for us, I pray that you would speak that by the power of your spirit deep into our hearts and then help us to trade our greatest treasure for not the temporary stuff here and now, but for the stuff that lasts forever, for your kingdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.